Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, the Liberal government refuses to condemn China's persecution of Uyghur Muslims, and a Canadian pastor remains behind bars. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. Great to have you tuned in to the program here. I am not abstaining from my duties as a broadcaster today, unlike Justin Trudeau and his cabinet when it came to a vote on human rights, which should have been right up Justin Trudeau's alley. This is the guy who, when he took office, proudly proclaimed that Canada's back. Yeah, after those uh, terrible years in which Stephen Harper was the prime minister and Canada had lost its way on the foreign scene. Justin Trudeau was going to bring the country back. He was going to be a leader on the global stage and he was going to get us a seat on the UN Security Council. And well, that part didn't work out, but he was going to take a stand. Justin Trudeau has never met a human rights fight he didn't want to take up until now. Yes, Justin Trudeau refused to attend a vote and directed his cabinet to not attend a vote on condemning China's persecution of Uyghur Muslims as a genocide. But rather than actually attending and standing up and saying that they were abstaining, all of the liberals had better things to do. They were washing their hair, they had doctor's appointments, they had meetings, they had conflicts. Just one lone liberal cabinet minister, Mark Garneau, showed up to deliver this stunning, bold stand for human rights. Mr. Speaker, I abstain on behalf of the government of Canada. Mr. Garneau, abstention, abstention. Yes, a vote on condemning China's persecution of Uyghur Muslims and the Canadian government abstains. It was quite shameful and not terribly unsurprising. There has always been a China-sized blind spot in Justin Trudeau's foreign policy, going back to even before he was elected Canada's prime minister. You remember that famous clip when he, of course, said that China was the basic dictatorship he admired most because they can get things done. Well, they have been getting things done against the people they are abusing on a human rights front. Many groups are finding themselves persecuted by the Chinese regime, but the Uyghur Muslims are at the top of the list, especially in the Xinjiang region. Now, here's the problem with Justin Trudeau's approach. You may think that it's not Canada's business to uh, go and meddle in Chinese affairs, and that's an entirely defensible position if you take what is called the realist stance in international relations. But there is a global obligation to act when genocide is taking place, which means that declaring something is a genocide is, as Justin Trudeau conceded last week, a loaded term. But that doesn't mean you can turn a blind eye to it because you don't want to fulfill those obligations. So by abstaining, Justin Trudeau thinks that he's doing something clever. He thinks that he's avoiding triggering a chain reaction, but what he's actually doing is displaying the very worst form of political cowardice because he doesn't want to rock the boat with China. But wait, I thought Canada was deeply concerned about human rights abuses, deeply concerned about allegations of genocide. They are, at least according to a statement from Foreign Affairs Minister Mark Garneau, who says the government remains deeply disturbed by horrific reports of human rights violations in Xinjiang, including the use of arbitrary detention, political re-education, forced labor, torture, and forced sterilization. The free vote in Parliament ensures each member can make a determination 
information based on available evidence. Taken together, these views will form Parliament's view. We welcome parliamentarians working together and debating this critical issue. Now, this has just taken a page out of the Justin Trudeau book, where everything is simply a learning opportunity and an opportunity for discussion. But yes, Mark Garneau remains deeply concerned about something that he abstained from voting on less than an hour prior. That's how deep his concern runs. And despite Justin Trudeau's claim that genocide is just a loaded term, that didn't stop him from declaring his own government and all previous governments in Canada of being guilty of genocide just a few short months ago. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is bending to pressure from the National Inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, which say the country is guilty of genocide. We accept the findings of the commissioners uh, that it was genocide. So this China-sized blind spot about which I've spoken has permeated through all levels of the Canadian government where they have a documented and demonstrable policy of appeasement. They refuse to call a spade a spade when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese regime, brutal that it may be. And the problem with this, there are many problems with this, but one of the chief problems of this is that it means that the country that is supposed to be the leader on the world stage has zero legitimacy when it comes to condemning human rights abuses anywhere. For Justin Trudeau to call his own country guilty of genocide, ongoing genocide, about which he's done absolutely nothing, by the way, but refuse to take aim at China is shameful. And it's actually exactly what China has wanted. And some people are saying that, oh, Justin Trudeau is playing a game of 3D chess here, even though I don't even think he could play a game of Chinese checkers right now. And he's just trying to do this because he doesn't want to rock the boat and we have to get Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor back. The problem with this is that we would have had some results to show from this approach because this policy of appeasement is not new by any stretch. But where are the results? China continues to walk all over the world, Canada included in that. And incidentally, Justin Trudeau's abstention and the Liberal cabinet's abstention didn't even win over China. No, they're still upset that the vote itself happened and that parliamentarians who were there voted unanimously to condemn the genocide against the Uyghur Muslims. This is a clip of Chinese ambassador to Canada, Kong Pei Wu, on CPAC. The Prime Minister and his cabinet, they did not vote. They abstained from the vote today. Does that make a difference to you that this vote is not endorsed by the Prime Minister? Or do you view this as a decision taken by Canada, whether the Prime Minister has backed it or not? I think the most important thing is for the Canadian side to stop interfering in our internal affairs under the pretext of Xinjiang-related issues and the correct mistakes. And also they should discuss bias and the prejudice and to respect facts so as not to further damage our bilateral relationship. Right, but, but people in this country believe that, that uh, Western democracies don't just have uh, the right, they have an obligation to interfere in the affairs of other countries if they think human rights are being, uh, are being uh, sacrificed or if, in this case, the Canadian Parliament has said a genocide is underway. Uh, what do you say to that? Because I believe when it comes to a human rights issue, it's the people of the country concerned which has the best say. So for the Chinese people, they are in the best position to judge the human rights record, whether it's in Xinjiang or elsewhere in China. And we are in the best stage of human rights in the history. And that's also, be, uh, I think, uh, proved 
by those people in China because for many years, when it comes to the polling from international bodies, more than 90% of the Chinese people surveyed, they have high regard for the central government of China. That's just great. Apparently, everyone in China thinks it's just fantastic. They're so thrilled with things there, which is why people are dissidents of the Chinese regime. But I digress. And China is in a great position to judge and assess its own human rights record, which is, of course, so very true, which is why China has been so frustrated with other countries wanting to go in. And there was actually a point earlier on where uh, Kong Pei Wu was asked if China would be open to international investigators to the region in question, going to the region in question. And, and he said, oh, well, anyone can go there. It's fine. Yeah, it's open. It's wide open. The problem with detention camps is that you can't get to the part where a lot of the detentions are taking place. So being able to walk down the street doesn't mean that you can say this is just a, a wide open, completely free society. Now, again, I go back to this idea that if you are Canada and you don't want to rock the boat with China, state that that's your goal. But don't pretend to be a global leader in human rights when the global, the country that is vastly becoming the global hegemon in China is continuing to trample all over any values, any liberties, and indeed other nations in the world, Canada included in this. And remember, the Justin Trudeau China blind spot isn't just about refusing to criticize China, it's even about becoming an apologist for China. I know I've played this clip a couple of times, but I, I think it is so illuminating. Remember when people were raising questions about China's COVID-19 numbers, and by people I mean, hello, me, as well as countless others, from almost the very first month of the pandemic. And China which had repeatedly revised its numbers, seemed to be admitting that, eh, well, you know, hey, maybe the numbers weren't accurate at first. Uh, but the whole point of this is Patty Haidu, the health minister in Canada, accused a reporter of feeding conspiracy theories for daring to ask about it. One of the most important things to understand about this pandemic, this global pandemic, is that as long as coronavirus exists in one country, it exists in all of our countries, that we actually have to work collectively as a world now to defeat this virus, to find better ways to treat and then eventually prevent this virus through vaccination or other kinds of methods. And that's going to take everybody working together. And Sorry, please let her finish. No. Ian. So I would say that your question is feeding into the conspiracy theories that many people have been perpetuating on the, on the internet. And it's important to remember that there is no way to beat a global pandemic if we're actually not willing to work together as a globe. And the reason I bring that up again now is to introduce this clip from an interview on CBC over the weekend with Rosie Barton with Peter Ben Emberic, who led the World Health Organization's so-called fact-finding mission to Wuhan. Here is Mr. Embarrick. Okay, that, that, that's that's interesting. Uh, so if if the, the outbreak was much wider in Wuhan in December 2019 than previously thought, what was it? Was it a lack of information that prevented the rest of the world from knowing that? How do you what do you understand about why we didn't understand that before now? Um, I think it's it's not so much about uh, about lack of uh, information. Uh, in December, uh, nobody knew more than uh, <clears throat> we, we knew back in uh, a month after, in fact. Uh, it was still very few cases uh, that were detected and that started the interest uh, and the investigation into uh, what was this new disease. 
And remember, at that time, we didn't know about uh, all the mild cases, the symptomatic cases. Um, so uh, the, the only cases we, we could detect at that time were the severe cases with the severe pneumonia. So it was more uh, about uh, understanding that there was a lot of undetected uh, uh, cases uh, uh, in Wuhan uh, than we, we, we knew about. We have been able through uh, retrospective studies to find 174 confirmed cases in December, but probably these were all severe cases. So around this, uh, there must have been some uh, uh, many more uh, mild cases. Now, I don't think the WHO has all that much legitimacy because for far too long it was shilling for the Chinese regime and parroting Chinese regime talking points. But I'm going to use the WHO here because Justin Trudeau seems to believe that it is the be-all and end-all. If even the WHO is now saying that China misled and covered up and that there were more cases than initially revealed, does that mean Patty Haidu is going to apologize for accusing anyone asking about such scenarios of feeding conspiracy theories? Why has the official position of the Justin Trudeau government been to appease and capitulate to China when anyone with a brain saw that China was not being an honest actor in all of this and continues to not be? Now, China's treatment of Uyghur Muslims is not the same as China's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. I get that. But the point is that we cannot give this country the benefit of the doubt in anything because of its demonstrable abuses of human rights and the dishonesty with which it approaches its relationships with other states. I have to point out this statement that was issued by China's embassy in Canada calling the parliamentary motion this week a, quote, gross interference in China's internal affairs and a malicious provocation against the 1.4 billion Chinese people. So China's position still is that if you condemn the Chinese Politburo, if you condemn the Chinese regime, you are condemning 1.4 billion Chinese people, which is a, a form of very disingenuous rhetoric that China's deploying deliberately because they want to equate criticisms with the Chinese government with racism, which we cannot allow them to do. China says things must be fine for the Uyghurs because the population in Xinjiang continues to grow, the GDP is expanded, things are wonderful, it's just one big old party there, when they blame Canadian lawmakers for voting on this without having ever been to the region, ignoring the volumes of evidence, the scads of evidence that have been unearthed by a number of states around the world and intelligence agencies about what China has been doing to this particular minority. But the whole point is this is not a new phenomenon. This is not at all a new phenomenon, and we have to stop treating China as though it has deserved the benefit of the doubt in anything. Now, there was a story in my neck of the woods that actually ties in with this in a way, because the liberal cabinet and liberal government may not want to criticize or condemn China, but liberal MPs have been condemning a business in my city of London, Ontario, for daring to condemn the Chinese regime. The business is a, a pub called The Ale House in downtown London. I've been there. They actually have great uh, wings, if memory serves. And this particular pub has often been very outspoken through its sign. At one point, it was very frustrated. The owner was very frustrated with the lockdowns imposed by the Ontario government and put up that, Mr. Ford, history will show lockdowns caused more damage to the public than the China virus. 
This caused a firestorm of criticism, accusations of racism and anti-Asian bigotry and all of these other forms of accusations that were leveled against the owner of the alehouse, who has been unrepented. He said, listen, we love all people. He even put up a follow-up sign. He said, calling out an oppressive government is not racist, period. We have love and respect for all people. He also said, we love Chinese people. We hate the genocide and China virus. Your commie government has inflicted on us. I may need to head back to the alehouse again and, and up, uh, this place is up in its sign game as of late. Now, listen, you may not like this. You may not like a, a pub that is politically outspoken. You may not like the beliefs. You may not like the term China virus. I don't particularly care. As a consumer, if you don't like it, you go somewhere else. But that isn't what happened here. People are trying to destroy this man's life and livelihood, including, by the way, several members of parliament, Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, the local NDP MP, two local liberal MPs, Kate Young and Peter Fragascados. Now, I've crossed paths a number of times over the years with both Kate and Peter. I tend to get along with them generally, even if I disagree with them on things, but they have a lot of gall condemning this man's sign because it uses the term China virus, well, they represent a prime minister and a party whose cabinet, whose government was not permitted to condemn China's genocide against Uyghur Muslims. You dare to go after a business owner who's frustrated by what this virus, which had its genesis in China, has unleashed on the world and on his business, and you have more condemnation, or your party has more condemnation for him than it does for the Chinese regime itself? Give your head a shake. And the form of destruction that we see, that people are wanting to unleash on him. Take a look at this one story in the local newspaper. Did downtown pub's controversial sign cross a criminal line? Now, they interview Sam Trosow, who is supposedly a law professor at Western University, but I can only imagine they'll just let anyone have that title after this. He says that this sign, because it uses the term China virus, may violate hate speech laws. He said it's intended to create a bad reaction against a racial group. They need to look at this carefully. Police have already said, uh, this is not a criminal matter. We're not going anywhere near this. And he's saying, oh, no, 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 they made a mistake. They've got to go and do this. Now, I don't particularly know much about this guy. I looked him up in the Law Society of Ontario lawyer database and found he's not actually a lawyer with the Law Society of Ontario. So he is a law professor and not an actual lawyer. But the point of this is that now we have people saying that if you use the terms China virus, it's a hate crime. It's inciting, quote, a bad reaction against a racial group, unquote, despite the fact that we use geography all the time. Ebola has a geographic origin or UK variant. Oh, no, that's illegal. Or South Africa variant. How dare you? Brazil variant. Oh, no, you can't say that. So to use the term China virus, which again, Donald Trump used it, and if Donald Trump has ever said something, well, it's going to be illegal to say it, of course. I, who cares? If you don't like it, don't go there. But the idea that people are more angry about someone using those two words together than they are at the Chinese communist regime who allowed this pandemic to become as serious as it did by, as we talked about earlier, and as the WHO even recognizes, downplaying the numbers, downplaying the scope, downplaying the effect of this. We need to see more condemnation 
in any number of areas of what China is doing in the world right now. And the point that I raised earlier about how China is trying to equate criticism of the regime with criticism of the people is something we're seeing in this little example in London, Ontario, too, where if you take aim at a country's government, you are supposedly expressing racist thoughts against the people from that country when the two are not at all combined. If so, Justin Trudeau would have been calling every single Canadian guilty of genocide when he said the Canadian government was guilty of genocide. So now China is not just winning the economic war, but also winning the culture war. And Canadian politicians in the Liberal government are letting it happen. We've got to take a break. When we return, more of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Tuned in to the Andrew Lawton Show. We are back to the Andrew Lawton Show. You know, we spent a bit of time in the first segment talking about some negative things. Let's talk about the miracle of childbirth. And for this, we go to Indonesia and look at the majestic story of Siti Zaina, 25, who gave birth to a baby girl last week in the town of Sianjur, which is uh, something I've totally mispronounced. So if you speak one of the myriad Indonesian languages, I apologize. Uh, but it's in West Java, which I can say because I, I like coffee. Now, normally one gets pregnant through a, a conventional exercise in biology, nine months or thereabouts before giving birth. In this case, uh, she actually gave birth an hour after she was impregnated, which is quite magnificent in and of itself, uh, especially when you consider that there was no man involved, she says, but rather a gust of wind. Yes, Miss Zaina says, after afternoon prayer, I was lying face down and then suddenly I felt a gust of wind enter my vagina. Uh, 15 minutes later, she experienced pain in her stomach. It grew bigger and bigger. She went to a health clinic and then gave birth. The news traveled around town. Police gave her a visit. She had had a, a husband from whom she separated four months ago and had a, a previous child, but this child uh, was not, uh, it, it seems like, sired by her ex-husband, but rather by a gust of wind, uh, because even gusts of wind have to go out and uh, sow wild oats every now and then, apparently. So uh, our congratulations to uh, C.T. Zena and to the gale of wind who are, are both sharing in the joy of this lovely child. <laughs> who does the, who, who finds these stories, right? Well, it's me. It's me who finds them, but I digress. Moving to a far more serious topic. I'm hoping to do a, a little bit more with this on Thursday uh, and delve into this story in a, a bit more depth, but I, I wanted to at least talk about it today because this is just absolutely shameful. An Alberta pastor is behind bars for a number of alleged offenses, but at its core, it's continuing to have services the way he always had services without following to the letter of the restrictions the government set out, the new orders that are required of pastors and church leaders and churches and other institutions in general. The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, which is representing Pastor Coates, and I should just say in, in a matter of disclosure, the JCCF represented True North in its fight, and my fight against the Leaders' Debates Commission, and I've never made a, a secret about being a, a supporter of what they do. Uh, they're representing him. They're calling on the Alberta government to release him from jail. They say that he's in jail for exercising his charter freedoms of conscience, religion, association, and peaceful assembly. The Grace Life Church, which is near Edmonton, strongly believes it needs to have in-person worship and to minister each other through fellowship, corporate prayer, and worship. 
This is, the JCCF contends, a fundamental charter freedom. He was ticketed by Alberta Health Services. He was taken to court. The government tried to shut the church down. And on February 7th, he held church as usual. The RCMP presented him with an undertaking to not violate the health orders of the province by basically a ceasing order to cease having church. He didn't agree to it. They were supposed to take him to a justice of the peace. They instead asked him to turn himself in. He did so. The RCMP charged him with contravening the public health orders, with breaching an undertaking, even though he never agreed to it. And he's in jail until his trial, which isn't going to be for a number of weeks. There was a massive rally outside the detention center in Edmonton on the weekend, and I actually had wanted to go there, but just with scheduling, I wasn't able to make it. But what's happening here is a pastor has decided to fight against these restrictions, and he now finds himself behind bars. This is a fundamental religious liberty issue, whether or not you're religious, whether or not you even agree with the importance of religious prayer. It is not for the state to decide what forms of worship are or are not acceptable in this context. And it's one thing to ticket him and then give him a means to fight this in court. What the government has actually done here is they've tried to take him out of play. They've tried to take the piece off the board so he can't do what he's been doing to fight this. And that's the most egregious part of this. Now, the show went on. The church has resumed without the pastor. There was a sermon given on Sunday where it was said that the pastor misses everyone very much. People at the gate were overheard telling incomers that the total capacity had been reached and they could watch the live stream service instead. So the government has actually gotten more people to pack into this church than they would have had they left them alone because now there's been so much interest. And of course, course, police were outside monitoring everyone, and you can assume probably taking a note of license plates and doing whatever else they do when they've decided to criminalize worship, or the government has decided to criminalize worship. I try to make a point of never being too dramatic about these things. When we talk about persecution, there's the difference between some of the administrative hurdles that we might have to go through and what people in China, North Korea, and Cuba have to contend with, and, and I believe that. But at the same time, we cannot take our relative advantage to fundamentally less free parts of the world as being justification to ignore when persecution in different forms takes place here. And yes, we can stand up for all injustices. We can stand up for pastors that are jailed in other countries, and we can certainly stand up for pastors who are jailed in our country, which supposedly respects and protects freedom of religion. As I said, I'll have more of this on Thursday's show, but I, I wanted to tell all Christians about the importance of praying for this return to religious liberty. I certainly am praying for Pastor Coates and the Grace Life Church, and I am also continuing to stand up for all of these freedoms, which the mainstream media is uninterested in doing. We've got to wrap things up for today. We'll be back in a couple of days with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.